John 1. We've been in this series, and we're, this should be, Lord willing, our last, our last service or sermon out of John chapter 1. Um, it's only taken us 11 sermons to get through John chapter 1. And uh, hopefully, there's just so much here, so much packed in. Um, I know it's Christmas Eve, and yet um, I didn't feel like I should be out of this series today. And it, so it won't be an exclusively Christmas message, but there will be plenty of connections to Christmas. Uh, we'll focus more on the Christmas account, the biblical Christmas account tonight in our Christmas Eve service at 5. I want to encourage you to come be a part of that. Uh, we've got a couple of unique things. We're going to tell the Christmas story in a very unique way that I think you'll enjoy and uh, then we'll also uh, have a candlelight service where we're seeing the Christmas carols and enjoy that as well. It'll be a special evening. And uh, again, it's the Lord's Day first. Let's make it about him and uh, be here at 5 o'clock. I know most of our folks will be here. We want to invite our guests as well to come be a part of it. As we come to our text this morning, let me rem remind you of what the events that have taken place to lead up to this. We're, we're going to be toward the end of the chapter um, but after the prologue, talking about Jesus Christ being the word and coming uh, to earth, then we're introduced to this character named John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was the cousin of Jesus Christ. And he's a unique character. He's out in the wilderness. He's preaching. He's dressed in camel skins. He's eating locusts and wild honey and uh, preaching, preparing them for Jesus Christ, the Messiah, to come. And so on the, the first day of this account... Um, then the priests and the Levites, they come down from Jerusalem to where he is and they ask him, who are you? What are you doing? Like, what, what's going on? They've heard of him baptizing. And he's not just baptizing Gentiles, um, he's baptizing Jews. And that's not the way it typically went. Like, who are you? And he refused to talk about himself. He talked about Jesus. That's who he was all about. Day one. So day two then... Um, Jesus comes along while John is preaching and John declares, John the Baptist says, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And I'm thankful for that declaration, but that's the first time that, that Jesus has been introduced to the public. That's day two. So day three then, John is preaching, he's in the wilderness, and Jesus comes along again. John once again declares... Behold, the Lamb of God. At that point, two of John's disciples that were standing near him, Andrew, and I believe the other is John, the writer of the gospel here, they follow Jesus, they go to his house, they spend the rest of the day where he's staying, and then Andrew goes and finds Peter, his brother, and brings him to Jesus. That's a big day, right? I mean, he's, he's just started gathering now his disciples, Andrew, John, and then Peter as well, day four is the day we're talking about today. Day four is our text this morning. It's the day after John is called Andrew and, and John and Peter to be his apostles. So let's stand together and we'll begin reading in verse 43. Verse 43, it says this, John 1, 43. The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee... And findeth Philip, and saith unto him, Follow me. Now Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip findeth Nathanael, and saith unto him, We have found him, of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, 
Praise the Lord, you found the Messiah. No. Nathaniel seems skeptical, doesn't he? He says this. Nathaniel said, can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? I mean, that's, that's a pretty uh, derogatory thing to say. It'd be like, can any good thing come out of Harrisburg? Or, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm, if you live in Harrisburg, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean that. But that's the idea. Can any good thing come out of that place? That's the idea. Uh, I've just lost all the Harrisburgians, whatever they call those. Sorry. Philip saith unto him, come and see. Like, I can't convince you, you need to come see for yourself. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and saith of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. Nathanael saith unto him, Whence knowest thou me? We've never met, whence knowest, knowest thou me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Nathanael answered and saith unto him, Rabbi, Thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig, the fig tree, believest thou? Thou shalt see greater things than these. And he saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter ye shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Now, sometimes we get used, especially if we've been in church for any length of time. I, I, would, I would guess that many in here have been in church or used your church going. Or you attend church fairly regularly. Although I know that there are some in here that probably aren't regular attenders. But those of us who've been around this and have read the Bible, we get used to the way things happen here. We get used to the way Jesus came. But don't let, listen, don't let the unexpected ways that Christ worked and introduced himself to these folks become common for you. Listen, if Jesus is the creator of the universe, and he is, you would expect him to show up with pomp and power and glory. But he doesn't. See, just like his birth, he comes unexpectedly. He targets individuals, not multitudes. He's unpredictable. And that's the way it's always been. He does things in unexpected ways. Because why? His thoughts are not our thoughts. And his ways are not our ways. And honestly today I want to say this. I'm glad he's an unexpected savior. Because if I could predict the things that he does, then he wouldn't be God. That means he'd be like me. And I can tell you this, I wouldn't make a good God. So this morning I'd like to take some time to simply reflect and lift up our unexpected Savior. Because this time of year, it's good for us to remember that God is a God of great unexpectations. He's a God of great unexpectations. Let's pray and ask him to meet with us. Lord, we need you. Pray that you bless the reading of your word. We can't do this without you. We need your Holy Spirit to illuminate these truths to our hearts. If there's anyone here this morning that doesn't know you as their Savior, that doesn't have a personal relationship with you, that's never placed their faith in you alone for eternal life. God, would you give them the courage and the prompting to take a step this morning and by faith receive you as their Savior. God, speak to every heart in this room. We ask you in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. 
Tomorrow morning, living rooms all over the world will be filled with people opening gifts. Uh, how many of you open on Christmas Eve? You open your gifts, okay? If you, how many of you wait till Christmas Day? How many of you let one gift, you get one gift on Christmas Eve and the rest on Christmas Day? Okay, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of controversy already. I can feel the tension in the room. Um, you know, for some of you, though, you like to get gifts that are unexpected. You don't want to be, you don't want to know what the gift is. Others, you, you want what, you got a list, you put your, your list out there. You want people to get what's on the list because you're one of those practical kind of people. And I don't know your philosophy on this. Some people say, if I'm going to spend the money, I, I just, just tell me what you want and I'll get you exactly what you want. There are others that say, well, I like surprises. A present is only good if it's a complete surprise. Um, how many of you then like to buy for someone? You, buy, you want to buy them something you know that they want, okay? So how many of you, you like the challenge of finding the perfect gift that will be a surprise that they don't expect and because you, you love the surprise that you're going to see on their face? How many of you are like that? Yeah, we have some. We've got we're kind of half and half right down the middle. I, I see both sides. I like giving people gifts that they want. But I also like surprising them with something they didn't expect. You know, some people just don't like surprises. Uh, you know, you, you have to get gifts off that list and everything has to be planned. And they're very practical. They don't want to waste any money. And that's okay for Christmas presents. But you really can't be that rigid when you're following the Lord. Meaning that your life following the Lord will likely be full of surprises. It will likely be full of unexpected turns because God is an unexpected God. We could go through the entire Bible and see how in so many ways he's unexpected and he does things in ways nobody could have predicted. But I just want to focus on this account. Let's just start by thinking about John the Baptist. John the Baptist is an unexpected character in the Bible. He's dressed in camel skins. He's eating locusts and honey. I, I, I view him as that eccentric uncle that comes to Christmas dinner tomorrow. You're not really sure what he wants. I hope you have an, like a locust tray ready for him. I don't know. Charcuterie board, whatever, you know. John the Baptist was prophesied about... Now listen, there are very few people prophesied distinctly, directly, individually in the Old Testament. John the Baptist was talked about hundreds of years before he ever came on the scene. He comes, he's a voice crying in the wilderness. He's preparing Israel for the coming Messiah. God specifically chose this man, this guy dressed in camel skins, this guy preaching in the wilderness. He's eating strange stuff. This is who God wanted to prepare Israel for Jesus. I mean, that's unexpected. He's not a, a soldier. He's not a, um, he's not a civic leader. He's not a businessman standing up and introducing the Messiah. No, God wasn't wanting a politician because Jesus wasn't coming as a politician. God didn't ask a soldier to introduce Jesus because Jesus didn't come as the king uh, to, to raise down um, the, the Pharisees or Rome, I should say, and, and lift up a new, new kingdom right then. No, he was, he was coming as a common man. So they have John the Baptist introducing him because John the Baptist is a common man. So when Jesus shows up and John the Baptist says, this is the Lamb of God, then that was unexpected because Jesus was just a guy everyone knew. 
He, he, was, he wasn't somebody that they had handpicked to say, oh, this, is, this guy's got a, a future in religion. He's going to be a, a religious authority. No, they looked at him. They said, he's not a king's son. He, he's the carpenter's son. He's the, the, the cousin of John the Baptist. Can you hear them talking? I mean, they're saying, okay, so he said, Jesus, wait, Jesus of Nazareth? You're talking about Joseph's boy? You sure that's who he said? Now, to them, he was just another guy. This is not something they expected. They wouldn't have picked him to be the son of God. Uh, so Jesus' identity was unexpected. He came as the son, uh, I mean, the son of Joseph, a carpenter. But so were his ways. When, when Andrew and John, the apostle, follow him in verse 37, if you remember last week, uh, when they follow Jesus, he turns and he says, come and see. What seek ye? Come and see. You know, he invites them to come to him. And before you think, well, that's just normal, I want you to think about this. This is the son of God. And he's inviting fishermen to be his first disciples. He's not looking for the big and powerful. He's not looking for the influential. He's looking for the common man. Here's Jesus Christ, the creator of the universe, coming down to earth. He's been declared that he's the Lamb of God. And who is he inviting to come and see? The common men. The fishermen. You talk about unexpected. That, that the Son of God would want to start the first Jerusalem church with a bunch of fishermen. With guys that nobody really noticed or cared about. They just lived their days on the water catching fish. They were nothing important. That's who Jesus handpicked to follow him. That's the person that Jesus handpicked to start that first church with. And if you were coming to impact the world, you would probably go to Jerusalem. You would go to the temple. You would go to the civil areas and the government leaders. That's who you would find. But Jesus is saying to the common man, come and see. And more unexpectedly, he's not focused on the multitudes. He's, he's not focused on, on just the big crowds. He's focused on individuals. And he's focused on individuals that he's already saying, if you'll follow me, I'll change you, Peter. I'll take you from that, that, that impulsive, uh, that insecure person that you are now. And I'll let you make an eternal mark if you'll just get to know me. And though we like his unexpectations in stories like this, in stories like Christmas time, you know, sometimes it's hard for him to work because we have our own expectations, don't we? We have our own expectations of how things are supposed to go. And, and even though we say, yeah, God, whatever you want, whatever unexpected turn that you take or want me to take, I'll follow you. But when it comes time for it, we sometimes are a little bit hesitant, aren't we? And so here's Nathaniel. He's being that same way. Look at verse 43. It says, The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and findeth Philip, and saith unto him, Follow me. And Philip wastes no time. Now Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip then findeth Nathaniel, and saith unto him, We have found him, of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Philip goes to this man named Nathaniel and he tells him, listen, we found the one that Moses and the prophets wrote about. Now, he doesn't go saying we found the Messiah. And, and at first I thought, well, why, wasn't, why wouldn't he go say we found the Messiah? Because that's how uh, Andrew introduced Peter. He went and said, we have found the Messiah, that the Christ, the anointed one, they mean the same thing. 
Christ would have been a more familiar Greek term for John's uh, Greek readers here. But they mean the same thing. When you think about anointed, you think about a king. That's what they would have thought of. They would have thought about somebody that's the next king in line. So he gets anointed. He's set apart. That's the next guy to reign and rule. But Philip doesn't use that term when he goes to Nathaniel. He says, no, we found the ones, the one that Moses and the prophets talked about. We found the one that they wrote about. And it makes you wonder after reading Nathaniel's response if Philip knew that Nathaniel was going to be skeptical. He didn't, he didn't go saying, hey, we found the king. I, I, I know he's the king. He's the king. No, he says, no, we found the one that Moses and the prophets wrote about. And, and so he probably knew that Nathaniel was going to be a little bit hesitant. So the way I read this, look at verse 45. Um, it says, saith unto him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write. <coughs> Jesus of Nazareth, the son of, <coughs> the son of Joseph. You know what I mean? Like, he, go, he, he knows Nathaniel's probably not going to be impressed once he finds out. We found the one Moses and the prophets wrote about, <coughs> Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And sure enough, Nathaniel's response is exactly probably what Philip thought it would be. Because Nathaniel just comes out and says what everyone was probably thinking. In verse 46, he said unto him, can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? He's just being honest. I mean, Nazareth evidently wasn't all that impressive. They weren't known uh, for first-round draft picks out of Nazareth. No, Nazareth was just a place. It, it's, I'm not, I don't know if it was any worse than everywhere else, but it was the, it, it was, at the very least, it was un, unimpressive. It just didn't impress anybody. And Nathaniel's response simply reveals to us that people had an expectation of what the Messiah should be like. And it wasn't supposed to be somebody from Nazareth. See, but this is what we need to understand. Our expectations don't often align with God's methods. Also, though, our expectations don't change God's methods. So whether or not you align with God's methods... Understand that you could throw a fit, you could be angry, you could be upset, but it's not going to change God's methods because he's an unexpected God. So embrace the unexpected. It's kind of like becoming parents for the first time. You know, when you're, before you become parents, you have a routine, you have expectations, you have a schedule, and that baby comes along and he says, oh, a schedule? Woo, throws a grenade right in the middle of it. Oh, you don't like to be inconvenienced. I can think of like three things I could do right now that would be really inconvenient for you. I mean, it just throws a kink into everything. Well, in some ways, that's, that's how we are supposed to approach uh, following the Lord. Because if you go in thinking, well, this is the way I want it done. These are the expect expectations that I have. Then he will very likely blow all of that up. Not because he's being mean, but because he doesn't think like we do. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. So Philip simply comes to Nathaniel and says, you know what, come and see. Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip's like, oh, Nathaniel. Um, I can't convince you. Just come and see. I just need you to come see Jesus. 
So Nathanael does. Verse 47, look what it says. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and saith of him, Behold, an Israelite in whom is no guile. Now, there's some different interpretations of this, but Jesus obviously is familiar with Nathaniel because he greets him in a unique way. He says, they've obviously never met, but it seems as if Jesus knows about him because he says, behold, an Israelite in whom is no guile. Well, what does that mean? Well, Israel was the name of Jacob. We know that Jacob was the man who, who became the father of the nation. He, his name became Israel. But Jacob was known as what? He was a trickster. He was full of guile. He was one of those tricky, and if you have children, especially if you have multiple children, you always have that one um, that you're just not sure you're ever going to be able to trust. You know, they always have that look in their eye, like, I can we trust them? Well, Jacob was that guy. You never knew what you were going to get. He was full of guile. He was tricky. He was manipulative. And, but God changed his name to Israel, and when he did, that name became honorable. God prevails over this man. So when he says, in whom is no guile, I believe that he meant Nathaniel was genuine. He wasn't a hypocrite. Uh, what you see is what you get. Now some say that Jesus is being sarcastic. Well, I, don't, I don't necessarily believe that. I believe that he is literally commending the character of Nathaniel as being somebody who just says what he thinks. He is who he is. And Nathaniel is kind of confused because he's like, how do you know who I am? I mean, whence, he says in verse 46, uh, verse 47, Jesus saw Nathaniel coming. Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no guile. Nathaniel saith unto him, whence knowest thou me? Like, from where? Like, when did we meet? How do you know me? How do you know anything about me? And, and Jesus responds with this. Nathaniel saith unto him, Whence knowest thou me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Jesus says, I saw you sitting under that fig tree when Philip came along. See, Jesus wasn't there. But the fact that he knew what Nathaniel was doing when Philip came along, it made an impression on Nathaniel. And I want you to get the transition here. The fig tree, very often then, commonly was a place where men would go to study. Where they would go to think, they would go to meditate. It was a common place, a common phrase known to be someone who was going to meditate and pray. And I believe, listen, I believe it's not out of the question that Nathaniel was spending time with God when Philip came along. And the fact that Philip referenced the writings of Moses and the prophets, I wonder if it meant that Nathaniel was actually reading out of those or contemplating those when Philip came along. And we don't know all these, some of it's speculation, but there's evidence to show that Nathaniel is a studier, he's a seeker of the truth, and when he hears that Jesus saw him under the fig tree, he's amazed by it. In verse 49 it says, Rabbi, he says, thou art the son of God, thou art the king of Israel. And there's no doubt in my mind that you really are who you, who you say you are. And, and you say, I can't believe he's convinced of Christ's deity just because Jesus knew that about him. That he had been under a fig tree. Couldn't anybody have known that? Well, probably anybody could. But I want you to understand that what's going on here is much deeper than... I saw you under the fig tree. 
See, here's a question. Did Jesus know that Nathanael had made a skeptical slash disparaging remark about Nazareth to Philip? Did he know that? Yes or no? Well, he's Jesus. He knew that. So does that mean that Jesus knew Nathanael was a sinner? Well, yeah. So here's the transition. Jesus knew the worst things about Nathanael. Jesus knew Nathanael's lack of faith. Jesus knew that Nathanael was skeptical. He knew that he was, can I say, prejudiced. He knew that Nathanael was imperfect. He knew that he was a sinner. He knew every one of his failures. But here's what I believe stood out to Nathanael. Jesus still wanted Nathanael to be his follower. See, knowing all about Nathanael, Jesus still desired a relationship with Nathanael. Knowing the worst about Nathanael, Jesus still wanted to know Nathanael. And listen, of all, this is, I want you to get this, of all the unexpected things about Jesus and his incarnation and, and his public reveal here in John 1 to the nation of Israel, the most unexpected thing is not that Jesus came as a baby, although that's unexpected. No, the most unexpected thing about Jesus is not that he was born to a young virgin, although that's definitely a surprise. No, the most unexpected thing, it's not that Jesus was placed in a manger. It's not that the shepherds were the first to know about it. It's not that Jesus was raised in Nazareth. It's not that Jesus was raised in obscurity. It's not that Jesus wasn't born to a king. Those aren't the most unexpected things about this story. No, the most unexpected part of this account is that Jesus could look past the exterior of a rough fisherman like Nathaniel and say, I've seen you in private. And I still want you. I've seen you at your worst. And I want a relationship with you. Now I could transform you into someone, what you are right now, into somebody that could make a, an eternal difference in this world, Nathaniel. See, when Jesus was gathering followers, he didn't go to the Temple Mount looking for the religious leaders. He walked the shorelines. And he met fishermen. No, he didn't, he didn't look for the influencers. No, he sought outcasts. He didn't seek the most talented. He went after the nobodies. Because the, the most unexpected thing about Christmas is not the details pertaining to his birth. No, it's the fact that a God like him would come to earth for someone like me. That's the most unexpected thing about this time of year and honestly it should blow our minds that the, the most amazing part about Christmas is that a holy God would come to earth and want a relationship with sinners like you and I so why would the Lord do things this way well if the king had had or if, the, if a king has influence if a king makes a big difference if a king shows up and everyone follows no one's going to question that because he's a king if a politician um, makes a widespread difference, that's expected. But when fishermen turn the world around, see, only God can do that. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1, For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. 
But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not to bring to, bring to naught things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. You know what God does? You know why God does the unexpected? So that when something happens that no one saw coming, he gets the credit for it. See, there are a lot of amazing things about this season. There are a lot of amazing things about the way God works. But the most amazing thing to me is this. That he could know all about me and still want to know me. I believe that's what Nathaniel came to. Because when Jesus said, I saw you under the fig tree, Nathaniel knew that meant Jesus heard what I said. And if this man in front of me is the son of God and he knows the worst about me, but he still wants me, then I have no choice but to follow Jesus. If he is the son of God and he knows the worst of me, but he loves me anyway, then he has my heart. See, God knows, friend, listen, God knows all about you. He knows the good and he knows the bad. But he loves you anyway. The one who knows you best loves you the most. See, you talk about unexpected. Maybe allow this season to remind you of what is truly unexpected. That God would love us enough to come to earth, live life as a man, then die for our sins so that we can have eternal life. You talk about unexpected, the great unexpectation. You know, not that Jesus came from Nazareth. It's not that he was the son of a carpenter. Not that he was born into obscurity. No, but that the one who knows us best loves us the most. I'd like to close by reading the rest of this text because it does apply to our thought today. And by the way, when I say close, that doesn't mean we're done. Verse 50. Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou? Thou shalt see greater things than these. See, Jesus says, if you think knowing, me knowing you and wanting to know you more, if you think that's amazing, if you think that's unexpected, there are greater things coming. You just better hold on. Buckle up, pal. I think that's the Greek translation. <laughs> Buckle up, pal. Because there are greater things coming. And then he explains a little bit. Look at verse 51. And he saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter ye shall see heaven open." And the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. See, this is in reference to Jacob's ladder in Genesis 28. Which if you know that story, you know Jacob had a dream. He saw the angels going up and coming down. And, and I really believe that the fact that Jesus referred to him as an Israelite in whom is no guile. And then Jesus talks about Jacob's ladder. It just makes me wonder if, Je if uh, Nathaniel was studying Genesis 28 under that fig tree. This is Jesus referencing Jacob and he references Jacob's ladder. 
And either way, whatever, whatever he was studying, Jacob saw the angels of God ascending and descending. And by the way, it wasn't just a dream. It wasn't just a nightmare. No, this was a glimpse behind the curtain, if you will, at the way that God works and that his messengers work. There's a whole world going on beyond us that we don't see. And God is at work and his messengers are at work and they're protecting and they're sending messages and they're doing things for God. I don't know exactly how it works. I haven't gotten to peek behind the curtain myself, but I do know that it's real and this is what's happening. That stuff is happening. God is actively involved in what's going on on planet earth okay that's what we can take away well Jesus calls himself here the son of man he it, it, the son is capitalized there in verse 51 it's referring to Jesus Christ it meant that what it means is it's another title another name for Jesus and it means that heaven is now open to all people because of Christ's presence because the son of man came then everybody has access to heaven is what he's saying. He says heaven is open because the Son of Man has come. And because Jesus Christ came, then heaven has been opened for everybody. And if you think it's... Un Here's what Jesus... I'm just going to paraphrase what I think the message is. Here's what Jesus says to Nathaniel. Um, he goes to Nathaniel. Your name's not Nathaniel. He says, okay, Nathaniel, by the way, it's his first time here, and I'm going to try to embarrass him first time, okay? So, Nathaniel, understand this, okay? Um, if, if God, the Father, if he is interested in having a relationship with you, would you say that's unexpected? Yes, I would. He's very nonchalant, but it's unexpected, okay? Say, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay, it's, he's really convinced that's unexpected. Okay, so here's what Jesus is doing. If you think it's unexpected that, that I would come just for you, that I would see you under the fig tree and I would know you at your worst and still love you, let me show you what's greater eventually you're going to see heaven opened to everybody. That anybody who wants to come can come. And anybody who wants to be saved can be saved. Anybody who wants to follow me can follow me. It's not just you, Nathaniel. And it's not just Philip. And it's not just Peter. And it's not just Andrew and John. No, everybody, heaven, he says, will be opened. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how far you've gone. It doesn't matter the sins that you've committed. It doesn't matter if you're sitting under the fig tree or you're sitting in a jail cell. It doesn't matter how big your mistakes have been. It doesn't matter how unlikely you are that God could use you. It doesn't matter what family you came from. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter what you sound like. What Jesus is saying is if you think it's unexpected that I would come and know one person and reach out to one just wait, because heaven has been open for everybody. Even anybody. Everybody, yes, even them. Aren't you thankful for that? What that tells us in this message today, that there's nobody in this room that Jesus doesn't want to know. And what we learn from Nathaniel is he has seen you at your worst. He's, he, he's heard every word you've ever said that was wrong. He knows every thought you thought this week that was inappropriate. He knows every mistake, every failure, the things you've done in private, the things you've done in public, it doesn't matter. He sees you at your worst and he still wants you. The one who knows you best loves you the most. So here's the application. If you've never met Jesus... You can today.
He has seen you at your worst, yet he loves you so much that he sent Jesus Christ to die on a cross for your sins. And all you have to do today is admit that you're a sinner and come to him in humility and faith and say, I have no way to save myself. My sins are too great for me, but you've already taken care of it, Lord. So I, I ask you to forgive my sins. I place my faith in you, Jesus Christ, alone to take me to heaven. Would you do that today for me? Listen, you talk about a gift, the best gift of all, eternal life. Yeah, you talk about a great Christmas. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you can do it this morning. You can do it right now. Would you? Heaven is open. Jesus has made the way open. He knows you at your worst and he still loves you. Would you please accept him? To the Christian this morning, I say, embrace the unexpected. You don't know how God's going to work in your life. And when he does, rather than get resentful about it, embrace it. Because when he does something unexpected, it means he's doing something. It means it has to be him because he does things in unexpected ways. So don't grow resentful or don't say, well, my expectation is this. No, embrace the fact that God doesn't think like we do. And it could be that his unexpected ways turns into a really good end for you if you would just embrace it. And to the others, anybody else. If God can know us at our worst and so in a relationship with us, then that means that he can use any of us. He doesn't call the wise and the mighty. No, he looks for those that are the least likely to be used. Maybe that was you in your yearbook in high school, least likely to do anything. Well, that's who God's looking for. Embrace the unexpected and say, God, if you want me to do something in my school, I will. I, I don't think I can, but if you'll let me, I'll do it. Whatever it is that God, what you think God might could use you for, listen, nothing, there's nothing off the table. Because he uses the unexpected. Listen, it's time to embrace the unexpected rather than be resentful about it. Rather than say, can any good thing come out of this situation? Well, if God's involved, yes. I just want to remind you that he knows you the best and he loves you the most. So embrace the unexpected. If you're not saved, please, this morning, place your faith in Jesus. If you're a child of God and your life has taken unexpected turns, embrace the unexpected because that means God is working and he can turn that unexpected thing into something really good if you'll embrace it. This morning there's application to all of us. We simply have to be willing to embrace the unexpected. And you say, well, what does this have to do with Christmas? Well, the whole Christmas story is unexpected. There's nothing predictable about how he did it, which gives me confidence that it's all true because that's how he works so this Christmas season let the details of the way he came remind you that we have us we serve a God that is unexpected and I wouldn't honestly I wouldn't want it any other way I'm thankful he doesn't do things like I do because if, if he had done everything the way I wanted my life would not look like the way it does right now so I'm thankful that he's done it in unexpected ways. If you're unsaved, today is the day to embrace an unexpected Savior. He, he wants to save you from your sins if you'd be willing to place your trust in Him. Let's stand together. Every head bowed, every eye closed.
I think the one application that applies to everybody is that the fact that God could love, know me the way he knows me and love me the way he loves me, that deserves God's people to get on their face this morning and say, thank you. Thank you for loving me like you love me, even though you know me like you, you know me. And if you haven't thanked God for his love in spite of yourself in a while, if it's been a while, would you do that this morning? Maybe just say, thank you, God, for loving me. If there's anybody here this morning that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, you've never placed your faith in him. You don't have a relationship with him. You've never taken that step. Would you be willing to, to just make a decision for Christ this morning? We'd be happy to talk to you about that. Is anybody here that says, I don't know for sure. If I die today, I don't know that I'd spend eternity in heaven. Would you just raise your hand and say, I'm not sure. I don't know. I'm not going to call you out. I'm just going to pray for you this morning. Is there anybody here that says, I don't know that I'm saved. I don't know that I have a relationship with Christ. So by your own admission, then most people in here would say they're saved. Okay, maybe has there been something in your life that's been unexpected that instead of embracing, you've kind of been resentful about it? If that's the case for you, would you, I see hands, hands everywhere. He said unexpected things, yep, unexpected. And I've been, rather than embrace it, I've been resentful. Let me just remind you, God's an unexpected God. And it could be that the unexpected ways he's working in your life is exactly what, he's, what he wants to use to get you where you need to be. So maybe it's just a matter of surrender this morning. Maybe you just need to say, thank you, God, for loving me, even though you know me best. However this applies, let's do business with God. Father, we need you this morning and ask that you would do a work in our hearts. God, help us to, to take seriously the truth and apply it in, in a real way in our lives this morning. I thank you for the attention. I pray that you do work even now. Continue to work in Jesus' name.